Leading SDG4 Conversations is a series of podcasts produced by the SDG4 High-Level Steering Committee's Interagency Secretariat, housed at UNESCO. The discussions feature a panel of experts on the transforming education movement and aim to share knowledge and good practices on how we can reach the education goal by 2030. The 2023 UN Climate Change Conference, also known as COP28, convened in Dubai in December 2023, made history by introducing the inaugural Education Pavilion. COP28 placed a spotlight on the pivotal role of education in fighting climate change. In this special edition of Leading SDG4 Conversations, we delve into the significance of climate education in mitigating the adverse impacts of climate change and advancing the Sustainable Development Goals, with a particular focus on SDG4, the Education 2030 Goal. Join us for an insightful discussion in this episode, Climate Change at COP28. During COP28, as scientists said, we are heading towards a 4.5 degrees Celsius rise in global temperature. This is how alarming the ecological problem is. In the case of education, we have seen that climate change has disrupted learning, threatened educational infrastructures, and increased risk to the safety, health, and well-being of learners and teachers. Jeffrey Sachs, a world-renowned economics professor, innovative educator, and global leader in education and sustainable development, said that reaching the SDG goals by 2030 remains a fantasy and that these goals need a generation or two of continued investments to be reached. Compounded by the climate crisis, this will be tougher. While these investments are that oil that ignites fuel, the involvement of multiple stakeholders is the gear that keeps the machine moving and working until the goal is reached. I am Felipe Gomez-Gallo, LAC Youth Representative of the SDG for Youth and Student Network and your moderator for today's discussion. Today, we will dive into meaningful youth engagement at the forefront of the climate education movement. We are joined by a panel of experts who will shed light on the key takeaways and commitments for the future from the recently concluded COP28 from the lenses of climate education and how the youth on their part, empowered by an intergenerational support system, can be the drivers of change for green education. Let me introduce our panel members. We have Ms. June Morohashi. She is the Chief of the Education for Sustainable Development section of UNESCO headquarters in Paris. We also have Ms. Sahana Kaur, a Green in Education Partnership Advisory Group member from Yongo. Yongo is the official children and youth constituency of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC. Last but not least, Ms. Emilade Salami, a fellow SDG for Youth and Student Network member who is the founder executive director of Eco Champions, one of Nigeria's largest networks of professional environmentalists leading environmental change through uh, tree planting, ocean conservation advocacy, plastic waste management, and environmental education in Nigeria. Welcome, everyone. Let's start the conversation. Yun, my first question is for you. We all know that education is a victim of climate change. As I have said earlier, climate change has threatened education infrastructures and and disrupted the learning experience of many young learners. After the discussions held at COP28, 
it came to our awareness that education is a vital part of the solution to reduce or eliminate the impact of climate disasters on learning. As you are just back from COP28 in your experience, was it a significant achievement to have climate education as part of climate dialogue? If so, what key takeaways would you like to share with us? Your insights here will be valuable as we know that at UNESCO's Education for Sustainable Development section, your main thematic focus is climate change education as it helps people understand and address the impacts of the climate crisis, empowering them with the knowledge, skills, values, and attitudes needed to act as agents of change. Thank you very much, Felipe, for this very nice introduction, and uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this uh, conversation. So it's been a year since the Greening Education Partnership, uh, we call it JEP. Uh, it was launched as one of the global initiatives of the Transforming Education Summit uh, in response to youth demands. And it's been indeed a very hectic year for uh, climate education community and stakeholders and everybody who was involved. And indeed, young people today are very much concerned by climate change. And one international study uh, which targeted the youth across the globe uh, aged 16 and 25 years old, it find out that actually 59% of them are very or extremely worried about climate change. Now UNESCO serves as the secretariat of the Screening Education Partnership and closely collaborate with a lot of key players in education, but also climate and youth engagement. And this uh, uh, family includes UNFCCC, UNICEF, WFP, the Global Partnership for Education, but also the Foundation for Environmental Education, Save the Children. And the list is very, very long. As of today, we have more than 1,100 stakeholders and also 82 member states. Uh, they have all joined this initiative to you know, start working together, coordinate and collaborate to get all learner climate ready and actually all learners starts from very young age and of course go, it goes to adults and we have just come back from dubai a couple of days ago uh, where the cop 28 uh, uh, took place and we are very happy to see some major achievements so allow me to share some of the uh, our uh, reflections so first um, many countries renewed their political commitment uh, by endorsing something called the Declaration on the Common Agenda for Education and Climate Change. I'm happy to share that 41 countries committed to targeted actions to adapt, but also mitigate and invest. And this declaration was drafted based on the inputs coming from the members of this very big uh, uh, Greening Education Partnership member countries, as well as stakeholders, and a lot of young people also contributed. And uh, partners, can, sorry, partner countries of the Global Partnership for Education uh, (GPE), and of course with the support of uh, UK as an advisory group member of this partnership, and also as the host of uh, COP26 in uh, Glasgow. Also, uh, the JEP convened its very first annual meeting, and a high-level session was organised with the. Uh, participation of some very important uh, personalities, Her Royal Highness Princess Lala Hassana of Morocco, 
and also together with 15 um, ministers of education and environment with our adg for education stefania Giannini, and uh, thanks um, hasana you also uh, helped moderate this was really great to have you uh, guiding the uh, discussion there sahana sorry and uh, second, uh, climate education financing has been also discussed on several occasions this time. And one challenge we uh, are facing, uh, we have to acknowledge this big challenge, is it's all about the limited uh, resource available within education community so that education can really be an effective means of addressing climate crisis. And current funding uh, for education systems to respond to this climate crisis is completely uh, insufficient. And according to one survey, at best only 0.03% uh, of all climate finance. Um, so that means much more investment is really needed to uh, achieve the changes that are necessary uh, for education to support transitions to more socially just and environmentally sustainable futures. Uh, here uh, in, um, uh, at COP28, uh, uh, GPE, Green Climate Fund, Save the Children, but also other multilateral and bilateral development partners, UNICEF and UNESCO, we were all there to get together to discuss how best we could help address these huge gaps. Uh, to better support countries and, of course, communities and schools and young people uh, that are all facing uh, this climate crisis and climate risks. And the last point is uh, uh, something very positive. We saw a very rich exchange uh, that took place in the working groups of this Greening Education Partnership, Greening Schools, Greening Curriculum, Greening Teacher Development, and also Education Sector Capacities, and finally, uh, Greening Communities. And there were more than 200 sessions, all focusing on education, which was really great to see uh, all of them happening. And this uh, uh, whole package of interesting uh, sessions took place over 13 days, not only one day, but over 13 days. And this was thanks to the very strong leadership of the UAE Ministry of Education, and they successfully devised this first ever Greening Education Hub at COP28. So UNESCO also presented two very important pieces on this occasion. One is green uh, school quality standard, Another one is green curriculum guidance. And we have been co-creating these guidance materials together with youth leaders and also education and climate experts. And these materials will be finalized and published next year uh, around June. And we hope that these uh, materials will become key references for the uh, JEP member countries uh, in their aligning processes. So, I just want to say uh, to conclude that it was a very exciting uh, moment and program around this hub and it will indeed leave a legacy as the first of many in the years to come. Thank you. Thank you very much, Yoon. My next question is for Sahana. I know you are a very active youth climate advocate working in Jongo and now part of the advisory group on Green and Education Partnership or GEP. For everyone's benefit, GEP is a partnership house at UNESCO that was put together in 2022 following the United Nations Secretary General's Transforming Education Summit to coordinate the actions and efforts in the field of climate change education and to get every learner climate ready. 
Hannah, you moderated the high-level session on green education and a ministerial panel at COP28. Have you encountered a specific ways meaningful youth engagement and involvement can effectively create the necessary synergies to make this multi-stakeholder and intergenerational partnership for green education work? This is despite the bleak and a long way to adequately prepare learners and teachers to develop the skills and behaviors needed to tackle the climate crisis. Can you also share with us some initiatives or projects you are working on at UNESCO GEB? Hi, Felipe. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, super great to be here today. And yes, I'll get straight into it. So to answer your first question on meaningful youth engagement to create synergies, yes, I've definitely come across some strategies. Um, the first one that comes to mind is when governments integrate young people directly directly into their climate work. So very often, youth engagement by, 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 by governments can be super tokenistic. Um, for example, by having like a quick bilateral during a climate conference with zero follow-up afterward, or when high-level speakers participate in a youth dialogue with pre-prepared statements instead of actively responding to actual questions and concerns. I'm sure you've come across these two. And so there are a couple of big issues with these traditional methods of youth engagement. Uh, because they're one off instead of continuous, it's really difficult to follow up with governments and hold them accountable to any promises that they make. And it also means that young people are still separate from the actual climate processes, actual education processes, instead of being integrated into them. And so I think a really effective strategy for youth engagement that I have come across is when governments include young people inside their delegations, either whether it's to UNESCO um, conferences or COPs or SBs. I've actually met a couple of these youth delegates, and it's so cool to see what they're doing because they're always directly involved in providing input into their delegation stance, whether it's a climate education or climate finance, um, delivery interventions, working hand in hand with negotiators, etc. And I think it would be super effective to use this method for creating synergies for creating education, just because a lot of dialogues related to climate change education are restricted to governments and a few other stakeholders, such as UN representatives. So there's never actually a way for young people to provide input and to share these spaces. So for example, Action for Climate Empowerment, or ACE is like a clause in the Paris Agreement that calls for climate education. And there was a really important ACE workshop earlier this year during the Bonn Climate Conference, but only government representatives could participate in it, those who were delegated as the national focal point for ACE. Um, whereas if young people had been there, it would have been an amazing opportunity for them to synergize with other stakeholders, other government representatives, their own representatives, um, to work with them on developing ACE-related policies, sharing their ideas on like how we can monitor and hold governments accountable, and so on. And young people already tend to have really different types of connections across the private sector, NGOs, and governments, just because of like the nature of our advocacy and how it often goes across different sectors. And so I think it's important that governments recognize that. And including young people in national representative teams would be a really great way of engaging youth continuously and meaningfully. And to answer your second question, there are a few things I've been working on with JEP. Um, they've all been super exciting. And so the first is, as June mentioned, I co-moderated the high-level segment of the first annual meeting during COP. And it was so cool to see the political momentum behind climate education slowly growing. Um, since it's so important that we get high-level buy-in into the greening education movement. And the second is that I supported a meeting that the JEP organized to connect youth members of the JEP. And so this was essentially a combined networking session, but also getting inputs um, from them on how the JEP should develop and grow. And this was super cool because uh, it was really great to see how the JEP was involving young people right from the start um, in terms of co-developing the youth strategy 
instead of developing it for them. And I think it's also great because often there's a lot of silos within the youth network, uh, which is around the world in terms of education and climate. And so it was great to see that being broken down. And the last is that I uh, participated in a workshop to co-create the UN Multi-Partner Trust Fund for Greening Education. And this was incredible because we all know there's very limited finance for climate change in general, but climate education is even more left out. If I'm not mistaken, I think less than 1% of global climate finance goes towards education, something really jarring like that. And so um, I think it was really cool to see how um, youth were also being engaged in terms of climate financing. But I think it's important to also tap into like other sources like private sector financing, philanthropic financing um, to push the greening education agenda forward. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, Sahana. These are really significant points. You mentioned that a multi-stakeholder partnership involves youth on the ground coordinated with many other actors. One of the principal actors is the government. So now I'll turn to Temilade. Temi, as a member of the SDG for Youth and Student Network, we know that you have been a climate education specialist for some time now. And we have seen that you are leading various environmental sustainability initiatives across Africa. Would you share a critical moment in your work as a climate education advocate where you saw how the youth were leading and becoming the driving force of the climate education movement? Share with us the challenges and who were the partners who were instrumental to the initiative's success? Thank you so much, um, Felipe. Um, I like to always say that the climate change movement, either education, leadership, or activism has always been led by young people, and that also reflects in my work. And um, I think one of my greatest highlights is, you know, attending COP28 this year, I've been to like three COPs, but seeing a lot of young people, you know, at the forefront, not just holding the line, but doing the work, because um, there are two different things, and, you know, bringing out solutions, not just as victims of the climate crisis, but also as solution, as solution providers. And that was really, you know, instrumental to how I felt at COP, knowing that, yeah, this is not the end beyond whatever's whatever the decision has been or whatever the decision is, there are so many young people like me who are working in climate education. And circling back to the Greening Education um, Hub at COP, first time in the history of COP where we had an education day, I think that's a really good win. And most importantly, being at different sessions at the Rewired, which had over, I think, 50 to 100 sessions, there were a lot of young people you know, not just on panels talking, but talking about their solutions and how we can drive, you know, climate education forward. Apart from the Greening Education Hall, we also had like the Rewired Summit, which was also focused on education with so many partners, UNESCO, G, um, GPE, and um, the Greening Education Partnership. And this was really, um, it gave me a lot of hope because when you work in this space, it's almost like every day the message is doom and gloom. You know, lots of things are happening, but on the other side, there are young people like me and you, Felipe, and every other person, even from the education um, section in UNESCO, working so hard to make sure that we get every learner climate ready. So um, youth has been leading the movement, both, you know, as solution providers, and about the challenges, there are two major challenges I've noticed, and it's a challenge that no, like a lot of people don't like to talk about, which is finance. Um, there were so many funds that were launched at COP28, even for education, and all these funds are literally going to country level. And I think this is something that needs to change, because when it comes to countries like my own country, 
you never get that fund trickle down to the people who are really being affected by climate change and the youth organizations who are really working on climate education. So if there's um, you know, any challenge that has been on the table for so long, even personally running Echo Champions and being in the education space for so long, it's funds and um, or finance or climate education finance. Everyone talks about capacity building, but young people need more than capacity building empowerment. We need money and finance. So everyone needs to put their money where their mouth is. Um, I think the other challenge I have faced over time is also um, accessibility, getting access to the resources and information that you need. Sometimes is when you go to event like COP and then you see some set of people, they're like, oh yeah, I just got this. I just got access to this. We just got grants to do this. And you're like, oh, I work in this space for six years. I've never heard of this. So there's just this barrier to the right information for you to be able to get the resources that you need to grow your organization and the works that you're doing on the ground. And circling back to the organizations that I've made some of my engagement, even very high level engagements, very meaningful with ministers of education, which has turned out very, um, you know, productive, you know, advocating for, um, you know, um, climate education, GPE. Um, I had a session, um, you know, at COP also, that was a recommendation from the edu um, Education for Sustainable Development Department, which was really nice. And, um, you know, I would just say the education space is a community that keeps thriving on that connection and collaboration. And so far, you know, organizations like GP, UNESCO, ESD has been able to facilitate some of my engagements, you know, at some of these sessions and meetings and high level engagement. So, yeah, um, that's my experience. I have a lot to say, but I don't want to take your time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Temi. Uh, before we close the session, I would like to ask each one of you. Jun speaking from the lenses of the multilateral organizations and in particular UNESCO, and Sahana Antemilade speaking on behalf of youth climate activists, what last words would you like to leave our listeners about the current global efforts to strengthen climate or green education? Let's seize this opportunity and voice out our call to action. Jun? Okay, um, so from my end, of course, UNESCO is a convener and bringing everybody around the same table of discussion, but also actions. Uh, and having said that UNESCO also has another function as standard setting. And this time what UNESCO decided is really to work with young people, not only for young people, but it's very important to use this with young people uh, to develop these key guiding uh, materials. Uh, once again, to inform our uh, policy makers, but also planner, you know, curriculum developers, educators, because young people really would like to see their learning is effective, uh, much more fun, meaningful, experiential, solution-based. And this is uh, really something important, but requires a lot of, uh, you know, mindset of uh, the those education professionals, which are often adults, but also young teachers are part of this, you know, big shift, which is needed. So what I would like to say is uh, we hope to continue really having the young people in the driving uh, seat and for them to decide what kind of uh, uh, educational learning should be taking place. And I hope this Greening Education Partnership can really effectively 
collaborate uh, with young people and also support. Uh, I was very sensitive uh, with uh, the comment. Uh, I think, Temi, you raised a very important aspect of young people also need to be supported uh, for their great actions uh, and it requires also financial and technical support. And I hope this uh, um, Greening Education Partnership can really contribute to, to you know, making this really happen uh, and quickly. So this is all what I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Yoon Sahara. Thanks, Felipe. Um, so yes, yeah, just any listeners for from governments, I would say please step up the work of climate education as quickly and effectively as possible. So initiatives like JEP are amazing ways to work with like the international community on climate education. But it also, it's also important that like domestically, governments are engaging with all stakeholders to implement and improve climate education. So that's definitely the first thing. And in terms of youth specifically, please continuously engage with young people instead of using us as like a PR stunt and provide necessary funding and capacity building to put us at the same table with the same backing. And to everyone else listening, for example, if you're a young person involved in climate education or who's interested in this space, I know it can seem super daunting to see how much work there is to do, um, but that also means that there are a lot of opportunities to contribute to the movement. For example, by advocating for climate finance, providing recommendations to your local government or your national government on changes that the curriculum should make, um, and just in general to push governments for climate education. You can also just work directly with other stakeholders, for example, the private sector um, or NGOs to implement climate education programs, perhaps on the local level, um, and then gradually scale them up. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was super cool. Back to you. Thank you, Sahana and Demi. I have a lot to say, but you said one thing. <laughs> okay, um, I think for me, it's to keep doing the work we're doing. Um, it's very easy to get discouraged, but trust me, there's so many other positive good news coming out of this space. And also to encourage every young person out there to say that the real validation and the real work that you do is from the people who you impact back in your home and community. So, um, you know, keep doing your amazing work. Um, we have a long way to go. It's honestly not a race, it's a serious marathon and we're here for long. So we need to keep that community, keep the hope and keep the energy. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. So what we have gathered from today's exchanges is simply the tip of the iceberg that can help align all of us regarding the current state of the climate education movement. More importantly, we devised a precise call to action for all stakeholders to empower and financially support climate and greening education. Given the four degrees Celsius increase in global temperature, climate and greening education is a key to further slowing down the rise and hence mitigating its adverse effects on learning and many other aspects of human life. We need everyone's support in making climate education a part of the learning process for children, educators, and everyone. Young advocates have specializations on ecological issues and can contribute significantly to policymaking. They have the experience to implement ground projects that can create a positive impact on the environment, as well as towards climate education. To decision makers, governments, multilateral organizations, and private entities, collaborate and engage with young experts. To young people, you have the energy to create synergy. Get involved. Thank you again for your time. You, Sahana, and Tevilade, we learned a lot from you today. Thank you for joining Leading SDG4 Conversations on Climate Education at COP28. Stay tuned for our next episode.